need him more every day. All right, let's pray. Lord, God, thank you so much for this chance to, God, pause from our normal rhythm and routine and focus on you, focus on our life, focus on, God, our future with you. And Lord, I pray that Lord, we're all in different places with you today. And Lord, your Holy Spirit is here wanting to speak to us, minister to us, no matter where we're at. And so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak uh, beyond the word spoken, to speak directly to us, that we, what we need to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow. Uh, well, it's probably been a year since I've been here. What a year, huh? Man, how many? Now, it's church now. You can't lie. <laughs> um, how many of you felt um, burned out over the last year? Burned out. Honest, honest, burned out. How many uh, emotionally drained? Hey, a little bit more on that. Uh, how about feeling isolated? How about feeling like, man, the, the connection that I used to have, it's not there. Yeah, we've all felt that uh, uniquely, or most of us have felt that to different degrees uh, over this last year. And, and, and to a certain degree, I feel like we're it's just so emotionally taxed. It's just we're so tired, you know. And, um, and what's interesting is like before all this took place, before the age of COVID, um, despite the fact that we're more connected than ever, um, this generation has been coined by some as the age of isolation, age of loneliness. And so uh, some stats uh, between 1985 and 2004. Uh, so in between um, Back to the Future and the, you know, the Lord of the Rings. I don't know. Um, the number of people who said that there was no one with whom they discussed important matters went from 8% to 25%. Now that was 2004. That was, MySpace was still going on in 2004. Uh, that was before Facebook, YouTube, before social media began to kind of take over the smaller moments of our life. I would imagine that that number would probably be close to 50 uh, from 2004 to now. About half uh, of our people, us, uh, feel lonely. One out of five Americans suffers from chronic, persistent loneliness. One out of five. That was before COVID. And while they're more digitally connected than ever before, young people from the age of 18 to 32, now check this one, people from the age of 18 to 32 are more lonely than elderly people. People feel more lonely as an 18 to 32-year-old than elderly people do. Loneliness can be detrimental to our lives. It significantly raises the risk of our depression, heart disease, sleep disorders, increased stress, weakened immune system, and paranoia. All of which we probably experienced to a certain degree uh, this year. And the truths about loneliness are ever so slowly dawning on the scientific community. What the scriptures have declared for millennia, that we are lonely because we are fractured. We are broken. It's not the system. It's you. It's me. It's humanity. And when we're as, fractured, as fractured human beings, when we exist in the state of isolation, 
independence and loneliness, it's interesting that our bodies even follow suit. You and I were made by God for connection, to be interconnected where love and grace and truth thrive in the midst of, kind of like family. It's interesting, the, the language Jesus, is, Jesus used for God, for the Creator. He could have used title names. He could have said Creator, or Lord, or Yahweh, or uh, Master. But instead, He uses language that frames His entire kingdom. And it's family language. Father, Son. When we are gathered together, we're brothers and sisters. Family originates with God. When you think of it, family, God is a family within Himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, distinct yet fully united, they're one. You and I were made in God's image, hence we're made or wired for family. We're wired for family. And that's why our lives can be so derailed when we've, been ex- when we've experienced unhealthy family. When we get around unhealthy family, that can frame not only how we see ourselves, not only how we see God, it can frame the entire reality by which we see the world. But with healthy family, so many things change. But again, like I said, we're fractured. And so our attempts to create family become fractured. Genesis uh, 3 through 10, right at the beginning of the Bible. I think we're all familiar with the fracturing of God and man. We're very familiar with that story that that man decided to to define good and evil on his own ter- on their own terms. They didn't want God being their leader, and so they went out, and that relationship was fractured. But there's a few other fracturings that we find in Genesis at the very beginning that that I think um, contribute to how we see the world today. There was a another fracturing. There was a fracturing in the spiritual realm in Genesis six. It talks about how in the heavenly realms, in the, in the spiritual realm, there was a fracturing where, the, where there was a rebellion and angels broke away from God. There was a fractured spiritual realm, a cosmic fracturing. Then in uh, Genesis 9 and 10, it talks about how mankind flourished. But yet, how they flourished, they became extremely evil. And they tried to create a society that would uh, ascend to the heights of heaven. Basically, we can uh, create a society that can replace God. And that, that, that city was named Babel. And Babel represents the human, short-sighted attempt to unify the human family. Babel tries to unify the human family, but united around the wrong story. Whenever there's a Babel culture, they try to unite people together around the wrong story. If you haven't noticed, America, if you are a believer, you have to see that America is a Babel system. And we, as humanity, we create Babel systems. That's just what we do. In our brokenness and our fracturedness, we create these things. You and I were made 
for family. But yet, in Genesis, we find this guy that enters in, and in the next few weeks, I think you're going to kind of dive in a little bit guy, a little bit down on this guy named Abraham. There's God chose, in the midst of all this chaos, brokenness and fracturedness, God chose this guy, Abraham. And he said in, in Genesis 12, he said this to him. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, the Lord changed his name to Abraham after his little encounter. His name was Abram. Says the Lord uh, said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will follow you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, check this promise, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's this vision by God that if he could just take one man, call him out of all his familiarity, and have a relationship with him, he knew that that transformation was going to lead to blessing. That it was going to not just bless Abraham, but it was going to spill out over into other people, into other families. And there was this vision by God, man, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through you. God's purpose was for all the families to bless them and restore them, to restore their fracturedness. And he chose Abraham to begin this big restoration project, but then that family we see, and I'm just going to fast forward real quick, we see that family, Abraham's family, itself become fractured and violent, and they split. And so, addressing the fractures of that family with God and each other is the way of addressing or solving the larger human problem, the larger human. If God could fix that fracturing, He could, in the same swift blow, fix the fracturing of all of humanity. And that's where we get Jesus. Jesus redefined what true family is. It's not of blood, but of allegiance. Jesus' family is not of blood, but of allegiance. There's this crazy story in Matthew 12. Matthew 12, Jesus is hanging with his disciples, uh, probably at some tax collector or sinner's house. They're hanging out, and um, Jesus is teaching, and uh, they're having a little party, and he's just kind of sharing. And his mother and his brothers of blood show up at the door. It's crowded they want to come in, and so they send a messenger to Jesus to say, hey, your mother and brother are outside. Well, let's see what his response is. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my brother and who are, or who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands towards the disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. To Jesus, family is a lot different. Family is not based upon blood, but based upon allegiance. So who's his family? If that's a spiritual family, that's his family. So now Jesus would go along, and when he taught in public, oftentimes he would teach in parables which were just made-up stories that would illustrate the values, culture, and way of the kingdom of God. And he shared this story. It's one of the most popular 
parables he shares. And he shares a story of about a father with two sons. And one of these sons, this younger son, goes to the father. And before his father dies, he asks for his father's inheritance, which was a huge, massive insult in that culture. To ask your father before you die, hey, give me what kind of like you owe me. I mean, this kind of like... And so here's this younger son. He goes to his father. Give me half. And uh, the father obliges. He gives half of all that he owns to his son. And as the story goes, the son goes off and spends all his money on wild living, it says. And he gets to a place where he's in such poverty that he's eating the slop from the pig troughs. Uh, He's in utter destitution. And he thinks, man, if I maybe could just return to my father, I couldn't return as a son because of the shame of what I've done, but I could maybe go back. Man, my dad's servants' servants eat better than how I'm eating here. If I could just go back to him, maybe I could just be a servant. And so here he comes. In verse 17, it says, When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, Even at home, the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I'm dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both you, both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. That's what he's thinking. That's his game plan. And so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off. Now, before we... Do you ever have an expectation in life? Do you ever have a, a thought that, This is what's going to happen, and yet here's something tremendously different happens. It says, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He was still a long way off. His father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick! Bring the finest robe in the house and bring it to him. Get a ring on his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but is now found and the party began. This picture of this father who was in a strange relationship with his son. His son was off in the distance, but he sees his son coming at him from a long distance away, and he runs to him. And it's interesting what he gives him. He gives him sandals to restore his purity. He gives him this robe that restores his character, covers his mistakes. He gives him this ring, and in that, in that culture at the time, a signet ring. A signet ring, if you had... If your father in the agora or in the marketplace could barter and trade, um, and he would have a particular ring. Well, in that culture, that ring would be passed down to their sons, usually, because patriarchal society. Anyway, passed down to the sons, and that son, with their father's signet ring, could do business in the marketplace as if he was his father. And so here, the son, who has wasted everything that his father gave him, comes back. And not only does the father restore his purity and his character, his integrity, but he restores his authority. And that's God's dream, is that not only do people come to know him so they can be with him, but he wants to give us his authority 
as Jesus had, so you and I can be His hands, voice, and feet here. That same authority. Me and my own strength. Even what I think is my own deep commitment to God will never take me where God wants me to live if I do life alone. It takes people around us of all kinds to help you and I live at the level that God has made us for. Being Jesus' voice, hands, and feet. Psalm 68 says this, God places the lonely in families. Huh? God places the lonely not in isolation, but in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy, but He makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. When I think of a sun-scorched land, I think of a guy out out by himself in the desert, suffering under the tremendous heat of the world. Spiritual family is God's environment for you to grow up in your faith. And the pattern of so many Christians is we... I mean, imagine a cross here, and before I come to know Jesus, I got all, I got all of who I am. I was kind of messed up, still messed up to a certain degree. But in the sense of before I came to know Christ, it was like I, I had all this baggage. And, and, but when I met him and I was just into the kingdom, a lot of times people stay right there, right in the entryway with Jesus. They have all their bags and luggage that they're bringing in from their former life, but they just kind of sit there and wait for eternity. And that is not what Jesus came to pay his life for. It's not just to see you born again. It's so that you can walk with him and see that baggage of pride or lust or shame or the things that we bring in from our past to begin to fall off and we begin walking like Jesus. We began seeing people the way Jesus saw people. Paul says that we don't see each other according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. How much of our culture is trying to train us to see people according to the flesh? By the Spirit of God, believers have to have the lenses of, I no longer see people according to the flesh, I see people according to the Spirit. It's growing up in Him. Throughout history, God formed small bands of people united as a spiritual family. And it's those spiritual families that have upended empires. That have overthrown kingdoms and changed the world because of the sacrificial love and community that God's people provide. I mean, when you read through, uh, last couple weeks I was reading through 1 John. And 1 John is a small little book, kind of towards the back. And... John is, was a disciple of Jesus. He walked with him. And um, he said, man, if they see your love of how you share love with, another, with one another, it'll be a witness to the world that I'm with you. And so when we get in this spiritual family, it's like that's where we learn how to love for the first time. That's where I begin to learn how to love. I was so narcissistic. I mean, it was just like me, me, around the corner, me. I mean, I was just seeing me everywhere. And it was like, man, when he get in the kingdom, it's like, oh my gosh, it's not about me anymore. And it's like, wow, a whole new world opens up. And you start seeing other people the way God sees people. It's one of the greatest gifts God could ever give you. 
God, help me see people how you see people. Help me see my boss as you see my boss. Help me see my roommate, whom all their little idiosyncrasies are ticking me off. God, help me see them as you see them. If we want to be a gathering people, if we want to see what God is doing in the midst of us spread into others, we have to live that way. Uh, Spiritual family, community, it grows us. I grew up in church, attended every Sunday, was kind of a nice kid, but yet I was a duplicitous hypocrite. I lived a different way on Friday and Saturday, and I thought I was kind of getting away with living both sides. I thought I was pretty cool Jack. thought I was the only one getting away with it. Because <laughs> that's the way of the human heart. But when I grew, when I, when I began to know God, and when He was adding me to a people, and it wasn't necessarily the people that I would have necessarily chosen on my own, seeing people according to the flesh way, I wouldn't have chosen. But God chose people, and I had to recognize that. And when he was adding me, I grew more in like six months than I did growing up my entire life in the church. And it's because God wasn't adding me to a church. He was adding me to a spiritual family because that's how his kingdom grows. These divine relationships God gave me helped me focus my life on the most important things. Hey, stop getting distracted over here. Man, you're listening to all that noise. Man, did you know that most of that noise is twisted lies propaganda? Listen. Read your Bible. Ha! Get in with Him. What are the most important things in your life? What are the most important? Family, friends, career. If you're single, biggest choice, who you marry. What the future holds. These most important things. My friends that God provided in my life kept me loving God kept me developing character, and kept me learning how to serve. And it's like, man, I wanted those type of relationships. I was so used to the type of relationships where like, hey, man, what's up, bro? How you doing? Good, man. That was great, man. And that's about it. But there was something. I knew that there was something more to these relationships. And I'd maybe experienced it an off way but I had never really experienced it in the way that God wanted me to. Who is rowing next to you is who you're growing into. You and I are better together. People are better together. Spiritual family challenges you. Spiritual family, no more playing games. Uh, when I was really started getting serious of following Jesus, I had played so many religious games in my head for so long it was really hard for me to break out of that. And so I, it was just a, I was just like, God, I want all that you have for me. I don't want myself getting in the way of what you have for me. But I'm not the best coach for me. You ever try to work out, you know, every New Year's resolution? How, how many of you failed a New Year's resolution? Raise your hand. Hey, I mean, we're not the best self-coaches. You ever get one of those professional players? I mean, in, in lots of different sports it's happened. But you get a professional player who doesn't want to coach. You know, like, they think that they've reached the kind of apex of that sport. And it's like, man, I know all these lame coaches out here. Man, I don't need a coach. What happens to their talent? It plateaus. 
every time. Every time. Because we're not a great coach for ourselves. So I have to put myself in a position where I know that I'm going to be challenged because I want the real deal. The question is, is that the same passion of yours? Do I want the real? I have to put myself in the midst of some relationships that I know they're going to encourage me, but man, at times, are going to give me some truth. The best, you and I need brother abrasive or sister sandpaper to help wake us up to who God made us to be. Do you know a brother abrasive? I hope you do. Do you know Sister Sandpaper? I hope you invite her over time to time. So you actually get the juice of what a real kingdom relationship is about. Thirdly, it fuels us. Man, I couldn't tell you what my life would be like if it wasn't for the kingdom relationships God's put in my life. It gives us fuel. We go through stuff through things that we haven't seen. But I know that when I went through them with spiritual family, with people, I was never alone. There was never a life experience that I had to navigate alone. There was always somebody around. God provided. The normal rhythms of life, it gives us strength, it gives us courage. Because how many of you know that the the normal bit of life is a lot of monotony? You know, we can't live the, you know, quick, snap, insta-type life all the time. There's monotony. How do we thrive in the midst of that monotony? Doing the same thing day in, day out. Man, it's that spiritual family that God's voice speaks through into our own hearts. To say, you got it. Don't give up. Come on. Just press through. Man, I know your proclivities. You're going to want to bail. You want to hit that eject button. Hey, man, stay in it. I know, where you, I know how you lean. We're going to lean the other way. Come on, man. We're going to get through this together. We are better together. People are better together. I hope you're picking up what Jesus is laying down here. And then uh, lastly, it glorifies him. Spiritual family, being together, doing life together glorifies him. John 17 says, I have given them the glory, Jesus, this is Jesus' prayer to the Father right before His crucifixion. And He says, God, I've given them the glory that You gave Me that they may be one as We are one, I in them and You in Me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that You sent Me and have loved them even as You've loved Me. Jesus didn't speak of mere unity of just being perfected, but it's being perfected into a unit. A unit is a group of trained individuals coming together to accomplish something. And what did he what did he give his disciples to go do? Go and make disciples of nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to do what I commanded them to do. To make a disciple of a nation. Not just disciples within nations. What does it mean to disciple a nation? Well, when you really start thinking about it, that's quite a tall task. Jesus gave us this great commission. And He wants us to be united so that we can accomplish the mission by which our Father has given us the task. Now, when I grew up, my father, uh, on Saturday mornings, often would say, Son you got to go out and pull some weeds. Now, 
I'd go out, reluctantly pull some weeds. You know, you ever, you've been there. When you're a kid trying to do yard work, you just kind of slow walk the whole thing in hopes that hours later, what you think is hours later, really it's about 15 minutes, that you think mom and dad is going to come back out and rescue you from the job that you have been given. And that's what a lot of times Christians think. God has given us a task. Until we've accomplished that task, He's supporting us, doing that. Lastly, what spiritual family has really, it's not even a point up there, but spiritual family, the greatest, one of the greatest gifts that I got was a heart for people. And like I said, I, I was so narcissistic and self-centered that it was really hard, a hard hill to cross. And still in days, there's patterns. But it's this love for people. And I think that at times, we as Christians have become, we can become so familiar, if you've been a follower of Jesus for any amount of time, we can become so familiar and... Uh, gluttonly, gluttonously full of His love, of His forgiveness, of what He's done in our heart. And yet we leave here and we're around people that have never encountered the living God, that has never encountered the love of Jesus. What's the, what's the bridge? The bridge is your and I's heart for people, our absolute love for people no matter who they are, no matter where they're at, no matter what they believe, they're made in the image of God. And that's what my prayer and that the whole lead into this message. And it was just this morning that I thought I found out where it was about gathering. But, <laughs> but really, that's the difference, is our heart for God. And I think that it's lacking. I know mine is. And I think the church is this. And so really, I think that if, if there was one thing the Lord would want is not only just to see the glory of God's spiritual family, what He's trying to build. And yes, it's filled with imperfect people. And there will be times where we are around imperfect people that represent a perfect God. But yet, God brings us together. But it's so that He trains us, He equips us, He molds us and transforms us so that we can love people the way that they've been made to love. And when you think, think about your own story. What was the turnaround moment? What was the season of life where you were going one way and at the end of that season, you were going another way? I would bet $100 that someone was involved <laughs> in that process <laughs> of loving on you, of demonstrating what forgiveness looks like to you, of ha- having people help you navigate through conflict that you lock up in. That's God. And I think sometimes we fill our, we fill our schedules with a lot of really busy religious things. And yet the one thing that I think that in our hearts we would admit to, God, I don't love people enough. 
And, you know, it's one, of, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I should do more of that. That's not the reaction. That's not the intended desire of this message. The intended desire is that you and I would go back and in our own little closet by ourselves between us and the Lord begin crying out, God, open my heart that I would be able to love people better. Open up my eyes of how practically I can love people. God, I need you because I, I am not a lover of people. I love myself too much. God, help me love people. And I would wonder what a room full of people like that, what God would miraculously do. <laughs> and there's been so many different types of people I've had the privilege of ministering to, from CEOs to guys on the street for decades. And it never fails. The closer I get around people that are hurting, that are isolated, the more I realize how truly valuable they are. And how little, I mean, of just how less value I am. <laughs> like, in all, in all the grand scheme of things, this person who's been walking this life, wow. God, would you do something crazy through whatever I could do for them to wake up to that you love them and that you died so that they could be set free from their sin and live an eternal life right now. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, Lord, we've been so blessed with spiritual family. And God, if we've walked together for a season of time, we know that that's true. But God, I pray that we would be generous with what you've given us. God, that we would be generous with our family. God, that we would be inviting people into that family just naturally, organically, not, not forced. Not this is my religious thing to do. But God, out of a heart that we love people. And God, there's so many things done religiously that it's, it's programmatic and void of life. But God, we want to be connected to your heart. We want to be connected to how you see things and how you see people. And Father, I pray that you would wake our heart up in love to people. And that God, it wouldn't be some little slick plan. But God, it would be just the right thing to do because you've redeemed us, you've restored us, you've forgiven us. And because we get to live in that freedom, God, we want people to experience that same freedom. But God, grow our heart to love people. Grow our heart to love those difficult people around us. Lord, those challenges, Lord, maybe that's sometimes the sign to us that there's a need in that person's life. So, Lord, I pray that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours. And it is people. Lord, help us stay focused. Help us stay focused on your heart. And let us not get distracted with so many things in the world that vie for this very space in our heart to love people and not love ourselves. So, Lord, I pray that you would supernaturally, by the power of your Holy Spirit, wake us up to love and how you've loved us, God, so we can love. God, because we can't love without you first loving us with your type of love. 
So God, I pray that you would just have your way with us. But Lord, put creative ideas. Lord, I pray for a new grace of creativity in our minds that we would get out of, oh, this is what a Christian does. No, no, no. This is how a person loves another person. And this is how we step into other people's mess. Lord, not just with sympathy and commiserate with them, but God, with your compassion that pulls them out of that pit. Lord, I pray that you would make our heart, I just, that little, that little scene from the Grinch. It's like, man, our heart is three sizes too small. And so, Lord, I just pray, just in this moment, God, that you would enlarge in the size of our heart for other people right now. Let our heart grow. Lord, let us just start feeling that increased heart for our love for other people. Lord, let us not get so caught up in our own little world. Lord, help us to, Lord, just get beyond ourselves and love people. Because, God, Lord, we know stats lie. But, Lord, we we know that loneliness is an epidemic around us. So, Lord, draw us to people that need you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all, go bring some life to some folk, huh? All right, have a good Sunday. Thank you so much. Wasn't that encouraging?